Welcome to the Jack Daniels Show, a new show every Tuesday. Giving you a shot of unconventional opinion. No filter. No nonsense. No political correctness. Tune in for real talk. What's your thoughts on social media addiction? That's a great question. Okay, so have you watched The Social Dilemma? I haven't. Right. Okay, so it's this new show on Netflix. It's been out for, I think, a month now. And it's basically just talking about how social media is causing the world to be more divided with the algorithms that are designed to give you dopamine. And it's problematic because our, our whole lives are entrenched into our devices nowadays. So what do you, what do you mean by addiction or dopamine? Or Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, not a problem. So social media firms, they primarily objective is to make money and their business model is to make money through um, advertisement revenue and the thing with advertisement revenue is that the longer the people are on these platforms the more profitable that these advertising companies become and what these tech companies such as facebook pinterest reddit Etc. What they have done is pretty much use machine learning algorithms to try and just target individuals based on their interest. So many of the many of the things that are inbuilt and ingrained into casinos uh, have been deployed uh, into you know, the science of social media. Uh, this is actually a, a very niche. Uh, subsets in Silicon Valley talking about the art of uh, like persuasive technology. So there's this whole field of persuasive technology that's just being built uh, in order to trap consumers. And yeah, like it, it's it's really fascinating, but it's also so they, quite scary. As in, like they're using all this research, um, all the all these techniques in order to make people more addicted to social media because Correct. it drives off profit for them? Correct. So, so I'll give you an example. So for instance, in a casino, right? Obviously in the long run, you're designed to lose, but they just, they space out the reward. So they give you like a small um, payout, a, a small win at different intervals, just frequent enough such that you feel the rush and the need to try and stay on. In many ways, notifications in social media is works in the exact same manner. So what happens is when the algorithm notices that you haven't been on Facebook or say YouTube in a while, uh, they'll pretty much predict roughly when you'll be checking your phone and it will give you a ping. And so once you get pinged, you're like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And then get just trapped into this app again. And they do so well to the point where you don't even need the notification anymore. You just have this compulsion to go and check it because, because you feel like you're going to miss out. And it, it's just like the casino, right? Like you, you, you might miss out on a, a winning opportunity. What casinos do really well is they also make you very comfortable. So designed in a maze-like arrangement, so that's very difficult for you to, to exit, which is why, you know, social media platforms, they don't have any logout buttons. It's very hard to navigate to it. There's also this lowering of friction for casinos 
they purposely have everything you need in life there from accommodation to food to drinks it's, it's all there it, and it's just designed to, to keep you perpetually there just like social media right everything you need is there you have your friends there you have your messages here if your updates there your life is there all your news is there why it's just to keep you entrenched in social media platforms so you're saying this this um compulsion i feel to check my phone to check facebook that this is by design it's by design there's a whole so they've, there's a whole field and literature on persuasive technology like you're right. basically a rat <laughs> right and, and so you're calling the compulsion that i feel that the, you're saying that that's actually addiction they have addiction. successfully made me addicted to social media correct just like how you know for rats there's these positive reinforcements mechanisms right uh, there's a classic study of um where you, you teach a rat to press a button and you get and you know a mechanism gives you food right or, or or some psychedelics or whatever to make the rat feel good and in the same way social media has primed you to feel the exact same thing right okay so what do you okay so social media addiction is very i don't know completely very rife within society mm-hmm. we were pretty much all of us are addicted to social media especially people in our age okay what do you think of the negative consequences of that or do you think it's a big deal at all oh there's there's there's, there's plenty of big deals about it um well i think i think on the very first like fundamental level right Let, let's not even think about wider societal consequences on, on a personal level the amount of time you you waste on social media is is quite insane i've actually checked been tracking how how many hours i spend on my phone on these various apps and do you want to have a guess at how long i spend every day no <laughs> tell me <laughs> i spend four hours okay so i'm going to tell you right now that if i was checking it would be a different story. Right. It's going to be a lot higher, yeah? It's going to be a lot higher. And, and, and the thing is, I don't even... Like, I was shocked because I wasn't even aware that I was on my phone that long. It doesn't feel like four hours. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It, it just sort of happens. You yeah. don't even realize it's happening. Yeah. You basically start you're scrolling mindlessly and... All of a sudden, four hours is gone, and and the worst part about it is you don't even feel f- fulfilled after those four hours, right? That's the main thing, and you want to know why? Why? It's because what social media gives you is quite surface level. Um, like if you think about what you've been looking at or, or digesting, right? It's really nothing meaningful. You're, you're not really learning that much. Um, so basically, it, yeah, they give, they give us like timed dopamine rushes so that pretty, we can be much. addicted to mindlessly scrolling, but we're not actually accomplishing anything. We're just wasting our time. Exactly. Like you're, you're scrolling because you anticipate that there's going to be something interesting, right? 
um, because social media has wired you to, to go, okay, you see a post, it's like, ah, oh, that's actually pretty funny, right? It, it lasts maybe three seconds. And then you're like, okay, um, I've nothing better to do. And this is really easy to do. Um, so let me scroll some more because you want to try and find, you know, the, the next funny thing. And so, so this is a big deal for you, th this idea that they've constructed things in such a way that we're addicted, but ultimately all it does is waste our time and not even give us anything useful out of it. I do agree there's this usefulness in it. So sure. social media is a tool. Um, you can reach a greater audience than ever before. Um, it's unprecedented. There's, there's people building, you know, huge audiences that's making, you know, the, the, pretty much the entire career on these platforms. And that's fascinating. It has never been done before. Uh, for instance, Gary Vee, he's pretty much kickstarted his entire career on social media. And that's amazing if you think about it. So, so there are good sides to it, but... There's good sides to it, but as he's, as I said, most people, they aren't able to control these addictions. You have to use social media as a tool, but most people are the tools to social media. Because it's been designed that way. Correct. And ends up wasting their time. Yeah. And in fact, uh, back in the early days, of Facebook, right? I think Facebook was one of the first guys to do this. Uh, they, they got this really prominent um, person called Jamuth. Uh, he's a very um, cerebral uh, investor. So he was the VP of Facebook. He was also the earliest um, uh, VP of AOL at age of 24. Before that, he was a trader. Um, currently, he, he runs a, a venture capitalist firm. He was basically, I think, the fifth youngest billionaire. Um, he made all his wealth on, at Facebook. And so what he did at Facebook that was very revolutionary at, at, for his time was he basically created A-B testing for social media. And every single um, social media firm or, <clears throat> you know, or online platforms, they do use A-B testing in Silicon Valley, it's all derived from that guy. And the reason why A-B testing is so effective is because our, our interests, our, like where our, our attention is, it's, it's very fleeting, it, it, it's ever moving. It's like an ever moving target. And so in order to try and um, capture that, you need a, a means of rapid um, scientific testing and so that's why a b testing works in the realm of social media um and he basically just built this mega addiction machine which is pretty insane kind of like aggressive natural selection right if, if some feature isn't working to um, get the person's attention or to, to get them addicted, cut it. Yeah, that, that's precisely what it is. If feature does do that, we'll then develop it, you know, keep it, develop it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and what it does is it, it uses some elementary machine learning techniques as well. And it, it essentially just profiles you based on keywords. So 
if you haven't noticed, say on YouTube, right, on, on the upper column, it will, will give you some hashtags that pretty much are your profile. It's like, okay, for mine, it could be, you know, strategy games, investing, poker, finance, um, tech, Tesla, Elon Musk, for instance, right? And, and you just keep pumping me videos in relation to these keywords. And, and in similar veins, right? Uh, Facebook does the same thing. And, and that's what A-B testing does. Um, for instance, if they want to ascertain whether, you know, you're more interested in say finance or cooking, they'll shoot you 10 posts about cooking, 10 posts about finance. And depending on what you engage more with, then they'll figure out, okay, this guy's a finance nerd. And we'll just pretty much just trap you in this finance world where you just keep checking it. Right. Okay. So basically Facebook and other social media companies, they, they promised something. Hey, we'll, you know, we're going to give you value, bro. We're going to give you value. You're going to love it. Yep. Right. But then, you know, then you check the notification or whatever and it's really nothing, you know, particularly <laughs> consequential. Right. But you keep doing it and you do it compulsively. So, so it promises big, delivers little, gets you addicted, wastes yep. your time. Um, and that sounds a lot like drugs. That's exactly what <laughs> drugs is. Yeah, right. they, they get you addicted. You, you need that dopamine high. You need it, right? And so, and, you know, it, it, while you're on it, you're like, oh, this is good. This is good. This, this is wonderful. Yeah, it, it's um, a casino afterwards you're like, on your phone. Okay. Well, we have legal restrictions about casinos. And obviously, we have extremely legal restrictions around drugs, right? Yeah. Whereas social media is largely completely unregulated. Yes. So how about this? Why don't we treat social media like a potentially habit-forming drug? Yeah, so, so there's actually been debates on this. Um, so, okay. So when the internet was first formed, okay, in, in order for the internet to work, you need people to be able to share things without any personal liability. Um, otherwise... <laughs> The internet wouldn't work, right? Right, you'd be screwed. You'd be screwed if, if Zuck was liable for everything that people posted. He's done. Yeah. So, so when the internet was kind of popularized in 1996, there was something called Section 230, um, which is called the Communications Decency Act, and so it basically stipulates that any interactive computer service can't be treated as a publisher or speaker or third-party content. So this basically protects any websites from lawsuits if you know any user posts something illegal. Okay. So that's how all the social media firms have been getting away with things um, for all this time. And right. in the early times, early days, this wasn't an issue because it was just a platform. But nowadays, as you mentioned, right, like they should be on the hook for things pretty much causing addiction, just like any drugs. Legit. I mean, I don't, I, I'm, I'm kind of okay with that law. I'm okay with them not being liable because some idiot threatened to kill, you know, the president of the United States on Facebook. It's like, yeah, they shouldn't be liable for that, right? But I think they should be 
there should be some laws, some new laws that are enacted that recognizes the addictive potential of social media. And also there should be laws against deliberately clustering people based on ideologies and fermenting hatred, which social media does as well. Yeah, so so that's that's one of the, I say, we, we've discussed this. This is one of the more like uh, socioeconomical issues about social media. That's, that's quite problematic. Um, well, he, well he's, he, he's a problem. He's a problem, right? Okay. What legislation could you pass to, I guess, control um, social media to, to address this problem of addiction primarily? I'm not too sure because casinos are allowed to run loose essentially. Um, not quite. I mean, they have more restrictions than social media does. Like, if you, you can't go into a casino unless you're over 18, for one. Mm. Um, you can't. Casinos are not accessible anywhere. You know, there are zoning laws. You can't place a casino wherever the hell you want. You have to go out of the air to travel to get to a casino. Yeah. It seems uh, to me that casinos are fundamentally restricted in ways that social media just isn't it's it's difficult because social media has a lot of money behind it all right mm-hmm. they they are going to pad the pockets of any political party that's going to support them yeah that's a fair point but what i'm saying is suppose that you got the perfect president the perfect politicians in power and they're willing to do something about this what the hell are they going to do hmm well, I, th- I think for first, like, first of all, <clears throat> fundamentally, social media firms should be um, just neutral. So they should only be a platform. Uh, so, so this is not addressing addiction, obviously, but the very first step is there needs to be some regulation to hold these firms accountable um, and just force them to be neutral. Because otherwise, there's going to be run-on effects. As a, as a, as for the addiction parts, I don't know. It's, it's it's a very difficult question. Like currently, what I've done is I've pretty much bricked my phone almost <laughs> to try and get Zuck out of my head, <laughs> and it's it's still a, a, a big struggle. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Maybe they should criminalize um, algor- certain algorithms that, for example, your newsfeed doesn't show things um, in chronological order, right? It shows you things according to an algorithm. Yes, correct. So just say, uh-uh-uh, it has to be chronological. You can't play any, any you know, silly games with your algorithms and whatnot. Yeah, but the, thi- now. but the thing is that would just kill, out, kill off all advertisement money. it's not going to fly with advertisers, which is the backbone of many things. Right. Okay. So we're basically talking about a problem we can't really solve. <laughs> it's like how, 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 how do we uh, stop social uh, media uh, companies being so addictive? I think, I think there should just be features where um, there should just be features where 
if, if you go on say facebook for too long it just gives you a message but like, you know go out for a walk <laughs> like I, I feel like that it, that might even be better or or i think there needs to be a, a very explicit menu where people can opt out of certain things so right now everything in social media firms uh, or platforms is very obscure say i want to disable notifications you, you got to go through this this huge maze in order to do it i think there needs to be a control um box where you can be like okay i don't want these notifications i don't want certain ads i don't want certain things sure. so in other words mandating that people have a certain amount of power over their social media experience exactly i would even okay. go as far as saying i would rather pay for say five dollars a month as long as zuck doesn't annoy me <laughs> with ads and stuff yeah yeah yeah. so so pay five dollars where i just get a clean feed of things i just want honestly i feel that would be so much better that, that wouldn't be too too bad an idea um, I, I do, I do recognize that uh, it, it is more of a upfront cost. But here's the thing: if you if you rationalize it to yourself, the amount of time you you pretty much give to these firms in terms of data, it, it's a bit insane. I, I think five dollars to to save say three hours of time a day, it's pretty worth it. Not gonna lie. Probably. Um, there's another solution that I came across. I don't know too much about it, but it's by Larry Sanger. Do you know who that is? Uh, no. He's the co-founder of Wikipedia. Okay. But he left it and he kind of hates it now. Right. Why? Because he, think, well, because he thinks it's not neutral. Um, he, he distinguishes neutrality from objectivity. He says they're mm-hmm. two different things. Being objective is one thing, but being neutral is another. So to be neutral is not to try to be to present the correct point of view but trying to present all points of view such that if you're reading the article you can't tell what point of view the author holds that's yeah. true neutrality and to him that's sort of what wikipedia is meant to be about um, but wikipedia doesn't really do that like you can there are many articles where you read it and, and you can tell what point of view the person writing it holds mm. um so he doesn't like that um and one thing he and he one thing he's remarking as well is the fact that you know social media companies are not neutral either it's in some sense it's even more important for them to be neutral than for wikipedia to be neutral and so he was talking he was yeah and he was talking about this sort of hypothetical decentralized social media service where it's like i have my own little space my own little profile or whatever right and i can write whatever hell i want on this profile Mm -hmm. and nobody needs to go to my profile Nobody needs to see it. If they want to, they can. Um, and same for everyone else. You know, if someone has their own profile, you know, they, they can write whatever the hell they want on it. Um, and, you know, they can prevent other people from seeing it if they want. Um, you know, they can block whoever they want. They can allow access to whoever they want. And the idea is ha- having this kind of decentralized social media thing where, um, you know, algorithms and companies and whatever don't even have, aren't even relevant anymore. Um something like that well the immediate issue is that there's going to be a lack of discoverability right um, well you can have discoverability by choice 
Right. Yeah, so okay. you, can, you can opt into certain things. You can opt out to certain things. But but you still need some form of algorithm to push things that are, are worth your time, right? I mean, I, I still fundamentally fundamentally think certain algorithms are useful, such as ranking algorithms. With the, with ideas, you can have a, you can you can opt into a certain platform that aggregates certain um these you know these social media pages. Right. right. Okay. And maybe and maybe there's some pages they don't touch because they don't follow their policies. Yeah. Right. But, but other pages they they're happy to aggregate, and so you can choose whichever aggregator you want. Mm. Right. Maybe maybe one aggregator you know is is a free for all, just takes anything and everything. Right. Mm. You know, go ahead, have fun. Right. Maybe another one is a bit more restrictive. It has some common sense community guidelines. Or maybe one is even much more restrictive, and so on. And so you can you can choose whatever aggregator you want. Um, so I think that's an interesting solution where it doesn't try to get rid of Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Right. It's, it's like a direct competitor. Not just a competitor. It's like, you know, um, it, it, it's like. Oh, like, like kind of like a glue. Ha, ha, it's like a glue yes. between these platforms. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's like keep your platforms. Right. Um, but, you know, um, the idea, the idea is to create a sort of protocol mm. that just that, that, that allows, you know, um, people to have their own sort of social media space and, you know, and, ag- and aggregators can, you know, select them or not select them, present them, not present them according to whatever algorithm they want, chronological or, or you know, fishy. I've actually, so, so that's actually interesting. So in the newsletter space, um, we use ISS connections. Uh, there's there's quite a few different apps that basically enable you to follow uh, different creators, and so if they post, say, a newsletter, you will just see on that particular aggregated thing, um, and, and you can also see tweets and, and everything. It's called Feedly. Uh, I've actually been using it. Right. Um, one, it, it it prevents all. Like people spamming my inbox, which I really hate. And secondly, it's this just one shop where I can just see everything I need to see. Right. So that's an example of an aggregator, right? Yeah. So I, that. I, I do appreciate these aggregators. It's quite nice. So the idea is to have something like that for social media, right? And you can choose whichever aggregator you want. Um, and you can have some sort of you know, meta like like protocol that allows different aggregators to easily, you know, select, you know, whatever's kind of social media pages or content they want. Yeah, like imagine Reddit without the comments. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Sure, sure. Um, he's actually um, Larry Sanger. He's actually trying to do this right now with um, not for social media. He just he just presented the idea. He's actually trying to do that for. Um, uh encyclopedias like uh, e encyclopedias right um, the project is called encyclosphere so anyone can write any article they want mm, that's interesting right it could be full of crap it could it could be extremely good whatever but then they can choose their aggregator which will be like you know arranging things in a sort of encyclopedic way the guy just loves his encyclopedias he loves his encyclopedias and he's really dedicated to neutrality um, to 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 a very extreme version of neutrality, yeah. Um, which I which I which I actually like. I think maybe we need some of that, um, and less of attempting to be objective, 
because it's like you know who who are you to um you know present your view as the only true view um, maybe it would just be for the best if you presented all views and let people make mm. their own decision based on their worldview, what to accept, what to reject. Um, but I, I like the idea. I think I think that could be a solution. Uh, my preferred, I agree. Um, my preferred solution would probably be to um, end Facebook and Twitter. Um, you you know what? I have a really strong opinion on this. I hope Facebook dies. Short Facebook to zero. <laughs> Twitter's okay. Really? Yeah. Short Facebook. <laughs> so why is that? Like, I would have thought Twitter's sort of more annoying. Hey, okay, here's the thing. I think Twitter is a lot more organized. So they're, because you're limited to, like, I think 240 characters or whatever it is, right? You it's a lot more bite-sized and that's good. There's also a lot less of the, um, it, it's not as, as, as aggressive as Facebook um, in terms of addic- like just overall addiction. Um, but, and I think Twitter is, okay, part of tech, Twitter is pretty toxic, but if you're in the rights, rights um, you know, circles such as the tech bros, it's actually pretty useful. You actually learn a lot of things. Mm. Um, a bit, so it's a bit more infor- informative, less grievance politics. Yeah, it, it's, it's more informative, right? But it, it's a clash of morality and ideas, but it, it is what it is. Uh, that's, that's the point of Twitter. But for Facebook, it's just raw addiction and I don't <laughs> like it. It's funny you say that because I just find um, I like Facebook's long form. Um, I appreciate that if you want to express some ideas, you have the space to do so. I do think there is something stifling about the 140 characters or whatever it is now. Um, But in general, I don't particularly care. I'm not interested in prefacing one over another. All I'm saying is that some vigilante blew up all the servers and all the buildings and all the headquarters for Facebook and Twitter, right? And, you know, Zuck and Jack Dorsey were found hanging from a gallows. All I'm saying, <laughs> all I'm saying is that I would not be shedding any tears. Why right? do you say that? Um, <laughs> I've actually deleted the Facebook app from my phone. I've also have this Chrome plugin that eradicates my newsfeed on Facebook. Yeah, so I can't see any newsfeed on Facebook anymore. And I can't access Facebook on my phone unless I go through the browser, which is annoying. I've also hit Instagram behind, it's like not on my home screen anymore. So oh, I've actually Instagram's another one. Instagram's yeah, yeah. another one. Well, I mean, Instagram is owned by Facebook, right? But I have to click four times to in order to navigate to Instagram, and that's annoying. So, and I've also deleted my notifications for Instagram. So, I haven't been on Instagram for ages. Well, you seem like you have this under control. I'm so not under. I'm so not under control. I only have Facebook, by the way. Yeah. Okay. I was, I was on Twitter for like what. 
a grand total of one week before I got banned. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Okay, but but my my crux is YouTube. Oh, YouTube, dude. No, no, no. I'm addicted to YouTube. I okay. I I'm not gonna lie to you. I am addicted to YouTube, you. but I also get oh gosh. some decent utility out of YouTube. So, yeah, I don't get much utility at all. Okay, the, the I just problem, end up watching UFC fights. <laughs> okay, the, the problem with YouTube, right, is it's really addictive, um, mm. and I have to be careful. There, there are certain certain channels where I do get entertainment factor out of it, and I'm like, okay, this is kind of like watching Netflix. And as long as I'm consciously treating it as watching Netflix, I'm fine with it. And then. There's also, I suppose, condensed information about certain topics that can't be bothered researching, which is also very valuable. But the dangerous part is when I start watching random crap like cat videos or dog videos, and I'm like, oh my God, this dog is so cute. But I am now watching 10 videos of this person with nine cats. <laughs> I, I, I actually agree with your analysis 100%. Um, and for me, it's not cat videos or dog videos. For me, it's more, um, I don't know, just these random UFC fights and some other random stuff. Um, everyone, like, just, yeah, random stuff. But um, I completely agree with you that, like, YouTube has so much utility. So I would, in fact, if someone decided to go and blow up YouTube headquarters. I'll, I'll be very sad. And blow up all the servers and execute all the execs, right? Um, I would shed a few tears for that. Yeah, you know, it's in just fact, too much utility. Too much fact, utility. Mm. I'm gonna say I think Google is very underrated because YouTube is is not at maturity yet. I think there is a lot more room to grow for YouTube. I think I think the next, like you know, the top influencers like Mr. Beast and everything, right? There are gonna be household names in the next ten. 15 years it's going to be akin to disney back in the days i'm going to call it right now just long i mean long alphabet i just uh, i'm not sure i'm happy about that because as much as as useful it is as it is i wish there was a competitor to youtube that was better i agree and i i i still hope that a competitor will come along and then YouTube can just die, right? Because I just don't think their the, their algorithms are not transparent. Um, they they keep blocking people and taking people down and demonetizing. And I hate yeah, that I don't crap. like that. I don't like that. Um, you know the worst thing on YouTube about YouTube. Hmm? The worst part on YouTube is is um, basically patent claiming. So if you use kind of like a two second clip um, that's actually copyrighted. They'll patent claim the entire video and take all of your revenue. Same if you have mm. say a you know five second uh, audio clip of a certain song, they'll be like, okay, we just own this video now. Thanks, bye. Yeah, that's dumb. That's dumb. There needs to be a reform in online uh regulatory uh for copywriting and it would be it would be great if there was something like net neutrality but for youtube videos where mm. like youtube isn't allowed to demonetize some videos and not others and maybe the the monetization can be 
the um can be the prerogative of the of, of the advertising companies whether they want to their advertisements to appear on these kinds of videos or not yeah the advertisements like advertising companies should be the ones doing the supply and demand right they shouldn't be butthurt about oh you know this guy swore or whatever right just just don't fund these and, these people right just and there's just no free market that, go yes and the, the reason why i think youtube doesn't want that is because i think they know that if they do that if they allow the ad- advertising companies to make those calls then basically every advertising company is going to not do anything like they're not going to demonetize anything yeah right because there's it's just a it's just some free market incentives work like unless you really 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 despise someone and their message mm-hmm. really despise them you're not going to say oh i don't want these people to see my ads it's like no of course you want them to see your ads you don't care who they are yeah. as long as they're paying customers yeah but but daniel you also got to remember there's this whole cancel culture like the cancel culture being okay someone someone says something bad that they don't like on this platform therefore this whole platform is bad yeah but you can't cancel youtube it's just not going to happen yeah but i mean that's why there was the ad apocalypse <laughs> twice ad apocalypse yeah what's that oh so so having you noticed there there's been two times on youtube where things got dramatically censored um, and that was because there were a bunch of advertising companies that weren't happy about some certain scandals that happened on YouTube. And so um, they basically pulled their advertising money and essentially forced YouTube's hand in order to um, clean up things. So the advertising companies are complicit. Yeah, they, were just, they had a power. They were just like, yeah, we don't like this. And they just pulled all the funding and YouTube was like, oh, crap. I thought the advertising advertising companies wouldn't care who um yeah what video yeah but a lot of this was was back in the times where um there was a lot of you know social justice warrior movements right. um and yeah it's exactly what I said like the whole cancel culture right right and so you had these what advertising companies jumping on the bandwagon yeah pretty much to pressure YouTube. Because, because for instance, you know, if you want things to be, um, you know, child friendly, right? Then, then advertisement companies will be like, you know what, you know, we want to support this cause because it looks us look better to the general public, and basically forces YouTube. Honestly, I think a big part of the issue is you've got a lot of um. You've got a lot of people in like HR departments and PR departments who have nothing better to do than to do this crap. Oh, I agree. <laughs> I just don't know what the solution is. You know, you can't you can't put them to death. You know, have, so have you, you have you not noticed that um, saying coronavirus on any YouTube video will get you instantly demonetized, and and if you get demonetized, the algorithm's not going to pick you up. That's and so a lot of YouTubers, they go, okay, the virus, the, you know, the thing. Uh, it's, it's the same as Bitcoin, by the way, as well. If you say Bitcoin straight out, you'll get demonetized. So people Why? say BTC, for instance. Why? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
I think there needs to be some good competitors to YouTube that take it out. Um, I believe in this decentralized idea, by the way. I like it. I like the idea that, you know, you have these aggregators and that can you know, choose what kind of content they're going to display and whatnot. Because I understand the issue. There is a real problem in terms of screening content. Like, I don't want to be exposed to certain kind of things when I'm on YouTube personally right yeah, yeah there's certain, okay. certain, certain kinds of crap i don't want to see yeah like social media right. firms okay here, here's a delicate balance between censorship and staying neutral right mm. um censorship should be allowed for certain things that society unanimously agree on for instance you know stuff like bullying harassments you know, um, any illegal stuff. But the problem is there's always going to be this gray line, right? And things are not black and white on, on where that line should be. Right. Obviously, killing is bad and you shouldn't be on YouTube, right? But for something like hate speech, all right, we, we all agree bullying is bad, right? But to what extent is the line going to be drawn? What, what constitutes bullying? Yeah. You know, I, I just think that instead of trying to make these distinctions, you know, if we had some sort of decentralized system going on where in some sense people chose what kind of community standards they wanted to, you know, they want that they wanted to screen their content, that would be for the best. There needs to be kind of like Reddit where you can just downvote things into oblivion. I mean, yeah, you can have that too, I suppose. I just, you know, I want to be able to see content according to my particular standard, mm. right? And I, I feel like someone else should have that same right to see content based on their particular standards instead of trying to enforce one standard on everybody. Um, I mean, that's what the algorithms are trying to do. Whilst... Oh, okay, obviously the algorithms have made our lives better because it it exposes us to things that we otherwise wouldn't have discovered. So there's that utility to it. Sure. So, so, but trying to get this overarching algorithm that pretty much solves both things. You have the discoverability element, but it's also catering to our own, you know, explicit tastes and uh, needs. That's a very hard thing to do because there's two objective functions here and both do operate potentially in conflict with one another. Right, but I just don't think... I mean, I, I think there's a difference between what the algorithm is doing and taking videos down, or taking channels down. Yes. Right, I think just keep the channels up and, you know, you let your algorithm... <laughs> Uh, deprioritize that except to select people who want to see it. Um, if, if, you know, if, if that makes any sense. I mean, this is as far as YouTube goes, right? I just don't think they, unless something is like illegal or otherwise really, really nasty, I just don't think they should be taking it down or demonetizing. Um, I yeah, so, like so I agree. I, I agree that there needs to be a, like, there needs to be a fix in the way monetization works online. Um, and more and more, you actually see these 
uh, what's it called again? Is it open source? Mm. Um, kind of platforms where you can just utilize things. Oh, oh you know, it's, it's these platforms where there's no licensing fees. You just have to just credit them. Mm. Um, there is, for instance, Unsplash for photography. There is, uh, I forgot what the website is, but you can get stock video footage as well. So there's actually a rise of <clears throat> these sort of services and products pretty much built around YouTube for that purpose of trying to negate, uh, I suppose, um, strikes and, and copyrights and, and all that. But it's still difficult, right? Because it, it, it's a tricky process. Yeah, I think what people don't realize is that at the end of the day, um, people in general um, are very opinionated and they have strong opinions about what they think is acceptable and not acceptable. And not just that, but they never, they tend not to see that opinion as some individualized thing, Mm. right? They tend to want to subject society to their vision of what's acceptable, not acceptable. And I think pretty much everybody has a tendency to, to, to want to say, not only do I find this distasteful, but everybody should find this distasteful. Yeah. And, I think what we're, and I think what we're seeing in social media companies is just a reflection of that inclination of individual people. It's just a reflection of society. Right? It is. It is. Um, people just don't want, <laughs> uh, just can't grok the idea that other people might have a different sense of what's acceptable than they do. Yeah. Going back onto, you know, the whole, whole uh, video uh, curation, like strikes and and all that. I I think Spotify is actually setting this good precedent um, where people can purchase a subscription for unlimited uh, things from all these artists. I, I think that's great. And it should be applied in more industries. So for instance, it should be applied for stock um, videos, stock images, stock audio clips. Actually, there's, ac- there's a lot of um, websites that do this these days and you can earn, earn quite a big buck from it. Um, like I've seen some, some numbers from people. It's actually really, uh, really, really big especially in the stock videos category. What's, what's the idea? I don't quite understand. What is Spotify is doing? Oh, so, so basically, let's say you're creators, right? And you have some audio clips that you want to license to people. Traditionally, what you've got to do is you make a patent, you maybe file underneath an organization, and they'll just basically dish out infinite um claims to you right just aggressively hostile takeover that's what it is um and if think back to pre-spotify right that that's pretty much the same thing what what that made people do was um they use limewire to try and uh, pirate all these songs and i think what people need to do is like for the creator space is rather than trying to 
uh, be scared about all these patent claims or trying to license individually from these companies. They just need to aggregate all of them together. So for instance, if you need audio clips for um, your channel, just have them all on the, this, this, this new company called I don't right. know, audio or something. And, right. and whenever you want to use it, right. You just use it. Maybe have you um, apply one of the links um, given from the firm so that they can, it's basically like a license agreement, right? You just recognize that you're using it. Right. And then in that way, they can just pay out creators, right? So you're just paying a monthly fee to use unlimited things within this library as you wish, as long as you um, use the proper licensing accreditations. And people that create these audio clips, for instance, they'll just get handsomely compensated depending on how many people use it. Just like how Spotify works. Interesting. I, I think there needs to be more of that. Sure, sure. So I guess that's one positive thing for Spotify. Yeah. That and it now has a Joe Rogan. <laughs> now it's Joe Rogan. But they got rid of the Alex Jones episodes. It's pretty sad. Oh, yeah, because censorship, eh? <laughs> I think they actually have the latest one there. Um, it got it got taken down, but then they were like, "Oh, it was because of a glitch." Oh, really? <laughs> it got taken down because of a glitch. Um, that, so then they put it back up. But I'm pretty sure the previous ones of the past are still not on there. Did Did you know the Coinbase CEO after the Twitter <laughs> debacle about them censoring the Hunter Biden thing news article, right? He was just like, "Oh, uh, if you want to discuss politics." winning the firm or if you're just mad about all these things here's three months of severance leave we don't want you here (laughs) i'm like whoa (laughs) yeah yeah he's basically (laughs) saying like i don't want all all this (laughs) political correctness thing in my phone (laughs) it's a distraction get out of it (laughs) that's so funny yeah. He, he got a lot of heat for it, which is pretty because the the way he worded it was was not as eloquent. He he didn't pass it through, I suppose, any of his editors. He just made this mad wow. <laughs> press order. That Hunter Biden thing was really weird. I mean the social media slash media reaction to it. It was. It's it such was a knee-jerk weird. reaction. It, it was so. I don't think there's been any um, stronger evidence for media bias and the reaction to that. Um, you, you, Nassim Taleb specifically <laughs> linked um, the New York Post article when Twitter started said was Twitter, when Twitter started taking it down. <laughs> he was like, "I've never read them before, but I'm going to read them now." <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because it was just like what the heck? It, it wasn't. It was a. It was an article. It had had some real information, and it just got taken down left, right, and center. Yeah. So so for twenty four hours, no no distributors. <laughs> like you can't find the article anywhere. If you That's googled crazy. it, it wasn't there. <laughs> That's crazy. 
Um, how is that not election meddling? Yeah. We, we, I mean, you, like, you know, you know what's even more of a coincidence? The vaccine being announced 48 hours after. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Biden winning. <laughs> Like, okay, they they clearly they clearly knew that it was ready, right? But like, I guess the the high ups of Pfizer didn't want um, their their vaccine to be politicized, or the rather, they probably um. I mean, my my best guess as to what happened was they were probably sympathetic to the Democrats slash Biden, mm-hmm. and you know if they if they released their results early then um then trump's coronavirus failures might have not been viewed quite as negatively yeah right because it's like oh but we've got a vaccine anyway kind of thing um that's probably why they waited i don't think that's a conspiracy theory i think that's (laughs) i think the incentives make sense i think definitely not good (laughs) yeah it's 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 only fact but but i guess you also got to think about um, on the on the flip side, right? What happens if there wasn't a vaccine, right? Like, would they have announced it as well, right? And I, I think in Pfizer's best interest is just to stay out of the political limelight. Maybe, maybe. I mean, that's the charitable way to view things, that they just didn't want it to be politicized either way. Yeah. So let's just wait until the election's finished. But, but it's also a bit... Uh... <laughs> of a coincidence especially given how trump recovered so quickly and he was just adamant that a a breakthrough was on the horizon <laughs> look trump recovered quickly because of the antibodies they gave him bro yeah yeah, yeah. like it's, mean, it's a different like, type of treatment yes um i mean i get it it's like it's not proven but it's like no no harvested some antibodies it's actually proven it yeah, it's actually yeah. proven the the only issue with um the way they do it is so expensive. Oh, do you want to know how, how it works? I can explain it as well. How they harvest antibodies. Yeah. Well, they, 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 need, they need a sick person, don't they? Yeah, they get a sick person, they isolate it and, and inject it. That, that's pretty much what it is. But, but the issue is because it's a foreign antibody, right? Um, there's, you know, a risk of it being rejected, right? And right. so generally you got to be... Generally, what happens is you, you get an allergic reaction. And so you've got to be on steroids and, and whatnot to try and control it. Um, that's, the, that's the only issue um, regarding that right. treatment. Right. Well, he was on dexamethasone, yep. which is a steroid. It's also a steroid that's been known to reduce risk of mortality for, um, for COVID. I'm pretty sure it's currently the best treatment that we have for people with serious mm-hmm. symptoms. It's dexamethasone. So he was on dexamethasone. He was on remdesivir. Um, which is doesn't do that much, but it's like you know makes your chance of survival like ten percent better. And then good. he was on, and then he was on antibodies. Um, well, the antibodies is is almost a sure win unless you don't it's like. It, it's pretty much it's a win unless you you get KO'd by the, the allergic reaction. That's that's pretty much it. Sure, sure. So I guess it worked out for him. Um, yeah, but I, like, I don't think he took a vaccine. Oh, he obviously didn't take a vaccine, though. Um, I mean, vaccines are only useful before you get it, though. before you get it, um, except for like rabies. Oh, <laughs> Did you know that because it really? takes several months for rabies to take hold in your body. 
It's interesting. So after you're bitten, the first thing you do is you actually get the vaccine. Wow. And it will work. So, so you get this this huge, huge lifeline pretty much. Well, yeah, because rabies has a 100% fatality rate. Whoa, really? There's basically, I think there's like you know, 15 or 16 known individuals in the entire world in recorded history to recover from rabies. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. I didn't know that it was that deadly. <laughs> it's that deadly. It's so bad. Um, but because the vaccine is quite effective, it's kind of like not that bad. Yeah, but how do you know you got rabies though? You don't. You, you got bitten by an animal that may have had rabies. Hey, you're getting the vaccine. Oh, right. Okay. So it's just <laughs> precautionary. 100%. Uh, yeah. But in Australia, we don't have animals with rabies. Mm. We have bats that have a similar virus to rabies. So yeah. Bats are the worst. Can we just annihilate bats? <laughs> Here's the thing about the, the Rona, right? It's basically going to be lumped together with the common flu from like from now on. It's not going away. What do you mean? Oh, I mean you, you, I, do you like, think it's going to be, you know, with us in, into perpetuity? Yeah. Like the, the only reason why it's so bad is because it's novel, right? But yeah, it, it's, it functions pretty much like, you know, the ordinary flu. Um, but it's because, like 80 yeah but but half of half the reason why we're so bad at dealing with it and, and uh, the mortality rates are a lot higher right it's just purely because it's novel we don't have the antibodies to deal with it it's like a different class I mean yeah okay, I agree with you um, um, and I agree that if this was happening 100 years ago it would have spread everywhere to everybody wiped out anyone who was particularly sensitive to it and then, you know, a hundred years later, we, you know, it would have been just like the flu or even the cold. Yeah. Um, but um, <clears throat> what we're doing now, but that, that's because of, you know, natural selection. Mm. But what we're doing now is we're not letting that happen. Yeah. We're, we're, no. we're not, we're not letting herd immunity take hold just by brute force. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, what, no, what I'm saying is the, the class of coronavirus, right? Like mm. like SARS, it's yes. it's gonna it's gonna stay. There's gonna be the third one and the fourth one and the fifth of course, one. of course, right, of course. right. There's that, something about it, yeah. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yes, um, yes, as for the yes, current sure. one, well, we're gonna get the vaccine. I mean, people are probably eradicate it. No, no, it's not gonna get eradicated. People are gonna. I think there's a good chance. I don't think so. Uh, people already have developed some tolerance to it. I think on the east coast of America. Um, yeah, because they might, you know, that they may have had it from November. Yeah, no. So, so they've, so people have actually, so yeah, the East Coast people have more tolerance than the West Coast because uh, obviously New York was hit the worst. Um, and the vaccine is going to increase our natural tolerance to, well, not natural tolerance, well, biological tolerance. Um, it's, it's, it's everything other than natural, but. Um, the vaccine is going to increase everyone's tolerance towards, you know, coronavirus, and it'll be end of such, it. But if you have such a massive um, vaccine program, how is it not going to get eradicated? I mean, this is what we did to polio. This is what we did to smallpox. Yeah, but the thing is, do you think African countries can afford it? They can barely afford malaria and stuff. Right. 
And so that's why those, I mean, yeah, but I feel like they're, they're planning to, the Western countries are planning to shell out money to, to give the vaccine to the African and other poor countries because it's in their best interest to do so. Yeah, it's, could, it's, it's actually true. Um, vaccine outcomes in, in third world countries have actually gotten a lot better than you might think in recent years. Yeah, because because they're being bankrolled by the West. Yeah, by Bill Gates, like, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it's like we don't want these diseases coming to us. So, like, here you go, here's some vaccines. <laughs> I mean, that's it's, what they did with smallpox. Yeah, yeah it's also the in their best. Vaccine. It's also in their best interest to uh, make them more productive. Yeah, well, yeah, sure, sure. Because more that's money, true, right? <laughs> more money. Yeah, sure. They'll do. They'll, they'll explain partially Bill Gates's involvement. Um, it would also explain the Belt and Road strategy that China's taking. Bro, China's probably already giving them their their vaccine. <laughs> it's, probably, it's, probably, it's probably testing their vaccine on them. <laughs> I, I would not be surprised. Dude. No, nah, so I, I actually think it's probably, I think there's a good chance of either eradication or else it's like restricted to some remote areas of the world. Kind of like polio is today. Mm. Um, I just yeah. yeah, but in terms of future coronaviruses, like novel coronaviruses, yeah, sure, we're we're sitting ducks, right? Hundred <laughs> percent, it's, it's going to happen. I just hope that we've learned something from this situation, so that governments understand how to deal with a pandemic. Okay, okay, but but here's the thing: I'm also concerned about people are going to overreact over any outbreak now. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's how you deal with a pandemic: you overreact early and then think later. I agree, right? But I'm I'm just kind of curious as to how early are we able to catch something that's going to be on a exponential trajectory? Well, I think if we had closed Australian borders back in uh, February, early mm-hmm. February, we would have been fine. You just imagine a shutdown every ten years. <laughs> I mean, you know, what can you do? I mean, I think in the, I think we need to think about developing systems that are uh, robust against pandemics. I mean, what I mean is, I think we need to have these streamlined systems where the second that there are, there's um reports about a pandemic, this is like a code red. <laughs> it's like yes. Oops. Yes, but also it's like, um, you know, you have facilities to quarantine, like special facilities to quarantine people, not that dumb hotel crap we're doing that's mm-hmm. now resulted in um, a second wave in Adelaide. Like, <laughs> we, need, we need to have quarantine setups ready. We need to be able to know how to process people coming in from overseas. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe you don't even have to stop tourism, right? Maybe you just need to say, okay, you want to be a tourist or, you know, you're, you, you want to, you're a businessman, you want to come here. That's fine. But you need to go through the following steps in order to be able to come here. Like, we, I just think that we need to have a streamlined system um, of travel that is able to deal with pandemics. Oh, I, okay. I agree with that. There needs to be protocols. There needs to be protocols. Um, and t- t- just to, to avoid um, what we have now. And maybe you can also avoid a full shot uh, lockdown. Yeah, I don't think a full lockdown is necessary if there's certain full protocols. Border lockdown. Yeah, if there's certain protocols in place yeah. that are good, that work, it's like, yeah, maybe we we can filter out the sick people and make sure only healthy people are coming in, et cetera, et cetera. But, but okay, but, but one, one natural consequence of a proper 
uh, protocol is that there needs to be 24-7 tracking of people, right? Like you need to be able to turn on the switch so that you can do clustering. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm not saying anything that invasive. I'm just saying, oh, we have a problem. Okay, shut down the borders. Okay, uh, you know, have a system to place returning Australian travelers in. Okay, so now we, we, you know, we have a good grasp of, you know, um, the situation. We don't have any cases in Australia. Our borders are locked down. People are coming in and they're being processed well. Okay, it's been like, you know, a couple of weeks. Now maybe we can open the country up to people who want to come here, but they have to go through our quarantining process. Yeah, I agree with all that. But then also you got to realize that uh, like early on, right, isolating clusters is also the, one of the best ways to try and stop the movement of these you know, pandemics. And so like, I'm, I'm fine with something as invasive as it, as it, as that is, but only if it's used purely for the purpose of a pandemic. Yeah. No, that's never going to happen, bro. Are you kidding? They're going to use it to like, I don't know, monitor terrorist groups. um, (laughs) They're going to monitor everyone and claim that they're monitoring it because of terrorist groups. Yeah. I mean, as if the CCP isn't doing that already. (laughs) I just, like as far as australia is concerned i don't think we need to be worried about that because i'm going to go out on a limb and say the next coronavirus is not going to be from here <laughs> it's right, going to be so, from india you know it's or not even you know where it's going to be from where what do you think africa china no china again it's gonna be china it's always china 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 no man it's not gonna be china again <laughs> okay like the last coronavirus has come from china uh, except MERS, which come, came from like Saudi Arabia. Yeah, fair enough. But they can't get rid of MERS. You know <laughs> that? Sorry? They can't get rid of MERS. Why? Well, it's, it's zoonotic. So it's um, it's basically endemic among camels in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So in order to get rid of it, you'd have to kill like almost every single camel. Oh. So <laughs> you just hope. <laughs> so so there's always going to be a few cases a year. <laughs> yeah, that's insane isn't isn't that like the Tans- tasmanian devil i forgot what what disease they have but all Do you know things- what disease they have what is it it's cancer really it's a type of cancer that's infectious is it hepatitis no no it's cancer oh just pure cancer it's pure cancer it's but it's infectious what on earth it's, it, it's one of the only can it's one um there are only two species where cancer has evolved to be infectious that's nuts. There's a cancer in dogs that can be infectious. And there's a cancer in, in um, Tasmanian devils that can be infectious. Okay. That's why it's almost wiped out. Okay, as much as I like the Tasmanian devil, can we just wipe it out cleanly before it jumps onto the human genome? <laughs> Bro. Like, like make Tasmanian devils extinct. That's Well, what they've done is they've actually got populations. I'm pretty sure they've got populations in the mainland that are completely disease-free. Oh, yeah. It's, it's only Tasmania population that's diseased, right? Yeah. So the idea is they wanted to separate out populations. All right. So- okay. 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 I changed my mind. Just wipe out Tasmanian ones. Uh, you can keep the mainland ones. It wasn't for, um, for human intervention. Intervention. They'll be extinct already. I mean, what a disaster. It's pretty much God saying, hey, I don't really like Tasmanian devils. Bye-bye. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> It's the worst possible thing that could happen to the species. That's a death sentence. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. Nah, but I, I, you know, I like them. 
how we, we can intervene to conserve species. Um, yeah, I, I like it too, but when when you know you're playing with this <laughs> this cancer that can that transmute between one another <laughs> like imagine that as a, as a new pandemic it's going to be like a virus no 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 it's going to be like the zombie <laughs> apocalypse but imagine if you if you touch someone you get cancer <laughs> you know what would happen if that was the case we would what? just kill them anyone oh, no. who's sick anyone who is in a radius a certain radius around people who were sick, we'd just probably kill them. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Oh no, no but like, like, and, and it's, it's it's basically as bad as the zombie apocalypse if you think about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would inspire true fear, right? In this, in a similar way that Ebola inspired true fear. Um, this I don't is, think this will I, like create crazy chaos. fear crazy like people are already terrified of cancer but then you mix cancer with pandemic oh my gosh um you i don't think COVID inspires real fear i say that because whenever society is actually scared the next thing that happens is violence yes that's that's just what happens uh i didn't really say that with COVID. people are just sort of you know doing their thing they're obeying all the rules everything's cool i don't really see violence um, but if if you had something, if you if you had a, an Ebola outbreak in Australia, you know people would be terrified. Yeah, look, I I would. All the doctors would just be like, nope, goodbye. <laughs> I mean, oh, for for like contagious cancer, yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> telling you, like, you know, they're probably sending even for Ebola, send an army to. They'd probably send an army to be like, okay, these are the, the infected people who live in the following areas, right? Wipe them out, and, and then burn them. Probably they'd probably like firebomb them, you know, napalm them. <laughs> um, yeah, and then no one would be going to work anymore. No one would be socializing. Everyone would just be stuck at home. <laughs> and I think, Amazon will rule as an overlord. <laughs> I think I think contagious cancer would be much more fear-inducing than Ebola because Ebola, at the end of the day, yeah, it's really horrible. Thirty percent, like, off, you know, up to fifty percent of people dying would be insane absolutely apocalyptic right but not as bad as right but like society could survive could survive that it's it's not an existential threat against humanity Mm -hmm. ebola is not an existential threat against humanity um but like something like the cancer that the tasmanian tiger had tasmanian devil has that absolutely is an existential threat against humanity yeah (laughs) Sorry, that's not gonna happen. It's all good. I mean, nature has played the Tasmanian devil. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I didn't even uh, know that was a thing. It is, yeah, it's a thing. You can look it up. It's really it's really sad. You know what else I think is really cool? What? Resurrection biology. Oh, as in um, like the jellyfish? No, no, no. As in taking an extinct species and then resurrecting it. All right. Have they ever done that? Not really. They did it with, um, (laughs) but they kind of did it with, I think it's the perennial, perennial ibex um, in Spain or Portugal or something like that. Um, It was extinct. Uh, And they input its genome into um, 
they took one of its eggs and I don't know they did they basically cloned it the, the, right. the um using because they had they, the, the 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 last species they had all this genetic material from it and, and they had eggs and they had this and they had that so they cloned it and they put it inside a um another ibex that was cluster related um or well, they put it inside like 200 ibexes that were closely related right but, okay but only like one of them successfully was birthed but then it died like 10 minutes later okay (laughs) but like for 10 minutes they had succeeded in bringing back an extinct creature well we're not gonna get jurassic park anytime soon well they they've they've been really been looking into that for mammoths i think mammoths is is viable purely because they're being well preserved and nice but i don't think dinosaurs possible no 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 dinosaurs are not viable as far as we know as far as we know right they're not like, viable because all the fossils don't have complete dna um i'm pretty sure dinosaur fossils aren't meant to have any dna um if dinosaur fossils have dna it means we're wrong about a lot of crap <laughs> no 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 no, no. I, I think it's possible because there might be mosquitoes trapped in amber for instance so so there might be traces but it won't be complete. Like chances right. are, it's broken down already. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, no, they have, they have, they have the complete mammoth genome. Um, they have many copies of, of it. They, they have what the genome looked like towards the end, towards the extinction. They have what it looked like, you know, in the heyday of mammoths. They have yeah, but really... like if you bring the mammoth back right now, they're just going to die out again because there's something so. called global warming, bro. <laughs> no, you just, you just dump them in Siberia, bro. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, and that's what they want to do, actually. Why? So the idea is this: because obviously, at the moment, we don't really have the capacity to mimic um, a womb, mm-hmm. right? Scientifically, and you could implant a mammoth into an elephant, but it's probably not going to end well. So what they're planning to do is something quite clever, which is you you take a you take a normal elephant. I think they identified like 1,100 genetic differences in the DNA between elephants and um, a mammoth. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you change maybe 50 of them. So you take an you take an elephant like embryo and you change like 50 of these. So like CRISPR. Yes, using CRISPR, you change you change um 50 of them to be like a mammoth, and then you put that embryo into back into the mummy elephant, and then it births an elephant but it's an elephant with a bunch of differences that make it more like a mammoth. And then you take that elephant and then you, you do it again and again until eventually you have a complete mammoth. So it's like the ship of thesis. <laughs> right. And it's actually viable. Like they really can do that. They really can do that. We have the technology to do that now. You, you um, know, you know, funny you say that. Um, there's, there's also this other study of domesticating um wild animals so uh, i forgot what animal it is but one of the animals in the wolf family um was basically experimented to see if they could naturally select traits of um sociability between um that breed of wolf as well as humans because you know humans and dogs obviously have this great compatibility and it's something that natural selection has has selected for. And so they were just curious about 
how many years it would take for that searchability to to kind of arise. And this guy pretty much <laughs> spent his whole life doing it. And um, he, yeah, he, he basically domesticated this wild animal within 40 or 50 oh. years. Yes. From scratch. Yes. Which is insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it can be done. Um, obviously, because artificial selection is so much more, um, so much faster than natural selection, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, and CRISPR will have different challenges, obviously, because this CRISPR is just will be natural even more selection. crazy. Yeah, CRISPR will be like, you have way more power as well. Mm. Um, although you do have some challenges for sure. Um, they, they, they tried to do the same thing with the Oryx. Like, you know, there was this great question I saw on Quora once where it was like, how on earth, like, did cows evolve? Like, how, how did they even survive? They just stand there doing nothing. <laughs> right? Like, how? And it's like, well, they didn't evolve. I mean, at least not naturally. Like, we made them that way. We domesticated the wild oryx, which is a big, violent animal and also very smart. And we domesticated it into the cow, <laughs> right? In, in order to farm meat. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Right. Yeah. Um, all the wild oryx are now gone, actually. Really? The last oryx died in like the, um, some Polish forest in the 1600s. Okay, um, that's sad. It's sad. But what they've been trying to do is they've been trying to um, using selective back. breeding, selective breeding to bring it back. Not, not even using CRISPR, just kind of doing what that guy was doing with the wolf, but sort of in reverse. So it's to, to undomesticate the cow. That's pretty funny. Um, that's obviously a bit more difficult because you could have lost information. There might yeah. be some information that, that's just not there anymore, you know, but they've, they've done a pretty good job so far. These cows are beasts, the ones that they produced. But obviously with CRISPR, you can... You know, I'm sure we have DNA of Oryx. They can reproduce them again. Mm. Dump them in some forests where they naturally were meant to be. So I like that crap. Like rebuilding ecosystems that were um, flattened hmm. from extinct creatures. I love that crap. Well, you should, you should get into genetics engineering. <laughs> I, I, I could spend my entire life doing that, I swear. Resurrecting creatures. I have a lot of callings. All right. I think on that note, uh, that's the end of the podcast for tonight. Cool. Tune in next Tuesday for our next podcast. Also, please leave a review on your podcast provider. Thank you.